Welcome to A Hooker and a Shrink. My name is Colby Agostinelli, and I'm your shrink. And I'm Sasha Blue, your hooker. Please remember that our podcast is sexy and explicit, so don't fucking listen to it if you're a kid. <laughs> I love that you say bad words in the content warning. It's yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so this week on our wonderful episode, we have a guest. Kevin Patterson. Hey, I'm, I'm a token parent. And we're going to be talking about contraception and parenting and specifically sex positive parenting because we're not parents, but Kevin is. I am. So since contraceptives is the stuff that I have experience mm-hmm. with, let's start with that. Well, what do you think about contraception? I mean, they prevent children. I think contraception is a wonderful thing. And... Everybody should have access to it. I have an IUD, and I love my IUD. I love that it's semi-permanent birth control that I have to make no effort toward (laughs) anymore. (laughs) It's just there, and it does its wonderful, beautiful, child-free job. Which one do you have? Uh, I have the non-hormonal one. So not Marina. Yeah. Paragard? Yeah. No. No, shit. Now I can't remember what the name of it is. <laughs> You're so responsible. But I have the cop- yeah, I'm very responsible. <laughs> I have the copper one, uh, and it's good for 12 years. 12? So, Are you fucking serious? Yes. I didn't yep. know that. Oh, my God. I have it- Marina, which is good for – it says five on paper, but my- all my doctors say, like, hush, hush, it's fine for seven. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I- how I feel about hush, hush, things in my body for two years. Yeah, that's a, that's a but, big window of opportunity there. But at the same time, I'm like, if I can avoid the extensive amount of pain that it takes to put that shit in, like, I'll wait that two years. Oh, oh my God. God. That was one of the most painful experiences of my life. I have put in. a really high pain tolerance. Like, I, I giggle at tattoos and, like, I've had really shitty accidents and it's whatever. So. Yeah, it's like a different level of pain. Like, I don't even know what the fuck that is. But mine recently fell out at four years. And I don't know why. And they don't know why. And there's no reason. And it just happens one, you know, in a million or something. Yeah, I think that ha- that does happen sometime. Uh, it happened to my mom, too, when she had one many, many years ago. But I am hoping that mine will stay put for another 10 years. Uh, and also, my doctor said that it was originally approved for 10 years, and then the FDA tacked on another two years recently. See, this two-year thing is a thing. Yeah. I don't know. So I got this, like, six years ago, I guess, total, and it was awesome. And pills, I just really can't take pills, and that sounds really irresponsible. But, like, one, it just made me kind of weird. And I've heard, like, way more dramatic stories about women birth control. Oh, and, my God. Like, crazy like unstable, like not themselves, all these interesting symptoms. I never had that. It just was like, not for me. Oh, then, I definitely became a psycho, not myself. That's why I'm not on the pill. It's not, I could take a pill every day. I don't care. But that shit made me wackadoo crazy. And it also made me physically ill. It used to make me puke like Ew. for two or three days a month. It's like, oh, I have morning sickness, but I'm definitely not pregnant. Hmm. What about other contraception? What do you... I've got the vasectomy. Yeah, there you go. God bless the vasectomy. After uh, maybe about a a year after my youngest daughter was born, I decided to close the factory for good. And it was a good look. It it didn't take long. It didn't really hurt that much. Hmm. The... Are you under? How does that work? No, no, it wasn't under. It was um, local anesthetic. My my wife uh, has uh, medical, my wife's a physical therapist, so she's always interested in like medical things. So she was there directly over the doctor's shoulder oh, watching it I all happen. I would love that. I am about to turn 40. If you were to rate all of my purchases all time in like a, like a, 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 a ranking system, top five all time, I bought an athletic supporter, a plastic cup, the day that I got my vasectomy. It ranks so high because I had two small children. Like my my younger daughter was one. My older daughter was like 
three, three and a half, and you can't really explain to a kid not to headbutt you in the nuts <laughs> in any language that they're going to understand. Um, kids have pinpoint, pinpoint precise accuracy when it comes to elbows, knees, headbutts, directly to the crotch. Buying that cup during those two weeks that I was healing from the vasectomy was brilliant. Like, it took so much punishment that I didn't have to. Did they tell you to do that, or you just thought of it? I thought of it. Like, I was I was driving to the place, and I ran past Dick's Sporting Goods, and I was like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to stop and get this thing right now. Yeah. And it was all-time, top five. Like, it ranks above at least two of my four PlayStation purchases. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's good now. I mean, I still have the cup, so I can, like, pass it on. I can wash it and give it to someone else who closes the factory. <laughs> the baby factory. Yes. I think vasectomies are great. Yeah, and far less expensive than, um, than the reverse for, uh, for, for uterus havers. Mm. Yeah. I, I also think that other forms of birth control for women should be more accessible. I Like, I wish that I could get my tubes tied. But I'm too young, and I don't have children, so there is no doctor who will do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You legit need a husband to tell you, or to sign the papers that it's fine. That's so fucked up. I was it talking is. about this in my supervision at the office, and these other therapists like couldn't, they couldn't believe it. Some of them didn't know that this was a thing still. Um, in every I don't know state? about every state. Perhaps there are places... But I think a lot of traditional doctors or just fucking sexist doctors still use this rule. And there's not, like, enough law to, like, push it one way or the other or to, like, sue someone. I don't know. Don't fact check us. But <laughs> it's definitely a problem. That's super yeah. fucked up. Yeah. Like, they might have tried to block me if I didn't already have kids. Yeah. I know with uh, my wife's boyfriend, they... They blocked him for a number of years because he knew he didn't want to have kids from a very young age, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't let him get a vasectomy until like well into his thirties, I believe. So I didn't know they even blocked men at all. Like I thought this was a pure, like mostly. I feel like if, if, if a guy decided like they were going to lean on the doctor, they would get it done, but they do try to like advise otherwise or steer you away from it. Just on, in case. Yeah. yeah just, just in case you change just, your mind. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I don't know how, I think I like the fact that it's there. I just don't need to use it. I don't think I'm going to change my mind, but like, I'm not 5,000% against it. I'm just not interested. Like, if it happened against all odds, I would maybe, that's where I'm at. Because I, having kids I, is different than birthing them. Like, I'm open to adoption, which is why I say that having a kid by accident, perhaps I could like live with it, you know? I agree with you, and I would be much more inclined to adopt a child than to give birth to one. I was pregnant about eight years ago for about seven weeks, and it was one of the most, it was really challenging, and it sucked a lot, and I only was pregnant for seven weeks, so... Yeah, like that's it, not very much, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, I'm done with this." If it affected you that much that soon, some people it just like really fucks up your body. Other people are like, "Yeah, I didn't even know I was pregnant. It was fine," and then I gave birth. No, it was, so was, was having kids I like hated everything. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy having kids. I mean, I I I miss all the things that I miss by having kids, like all of the freedoms, all of the disposable income, like you know, I. I miss those things, but I also love my kids and, yeah. and I feel like fulfilled in having them. So I can, so I can go either, either way when someone's like, I don't want to have kids. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. When someone's like, <laughs> Oh, I want like eight kids. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what my life looks like. I like the idea of a full house, but I understand that you don't need a full, you don't need to have children in the traditional sense to no. have a full house. No, I mean, like, I, I wanted eight. I wanted eight from the start. And yeah. and then my wife would talk me down to four. And then we had one. And we were both like, why are we? Why would we do this again? Why? And then we ended up with <laughs> the second one. And, like, two is the number. Two is where we're at. <laughs> you know, I can't even imagine having more than that. Like, I, I've, I've got, uh, I had a girlfriend where we discussed adopting at one point. And that might have been an okay thing, because then we'd at least have man coverage, three kids, three parents. But that didn't work out, so now we have man coverage, two kids, two parents, and I'm still okay. 
Yeah, that makes sense. After the second kid, you were like, "Yeah, that's it." Like I wanted it right after the second kid, but it it ended up just I'm I'm lazy, and like it took me a while to like call a doctor, so it took a year after the second kid. But I knew that two was enough, and like my wife and I were polyamorous. I made we made the agreement really early on. I said, "If you push it out, I'm raising it." But <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, but um that's that's not gonna be a thing anymore. I'm yeah. not I'm not making any more and I'm pretty sure she's done making them too. That's a good point. I mean, do you so she's not gotten the tubes tied. What does she use as contraception with her other partners? Um she has IUD uh, she has an IUD, but also she used barriers with like all of her other partners with the exception of like me and her her longtime boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, so other other contraception barriers. What do you use? What do you think about all that? Session? Well, I obviously use condoms for work all the time. So, which means I now have a condom preference, which is funny because I didn't really ever think I'd be a person who has a condom preference. I, <laughs> I like one condoms and uh, lifestyles aren't bad, but I hate Trojans because they smell and taste too much. Agreed. Like latex. We were just talking about our lube snobby people in our lives and how we feel about lubes. Oh, yeah? Not what are your opinions on lubes? <laughs> I think this is, that's still relevant. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm I'm not really picky. Like, I'll, for myself, as I'm, if I'm just touching myself, it doesn't matter what I'm using. I can use sandpaper as lube. It's, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah. like, with my partners, I try to buy like the high quality stuff, the really body safe stuff, like uh, Sliquid or uh, or Sutil or. Um... I've been waiting for my package of Uber Lube to arrive, but I also really like Sliquid. Um, I have a bunch of not great lubes in my office at this very moment. What but... is Uber Lube? I feel very. You ever heard of Uber Lube? It's um, it's a big one. It's top quality silicone lube. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're uh... commonly a sponsor of like. Lots of sex things. Okay. It also depends if you want silicone or water-based. Water-based, yeah. Right. Depends. I think for Um, shower shit, shower shit. Shower stuff and anal. (laughs) Maybe silicone, but yeah. yeah, That's very good. That makes some coconut oil-based lubes as well. If you're into the smell and or taste of coconut oil. Yeah. I have friends who Or you can just just use use coconut coconut oil. oil. Yeah. Yeah. What about weed lube? Have Have you heard about weed lube? Yes, and it's irritating. Really? Have you tried it? It's just more over there, East Coast. We might have not have as yeah. much exposure. <laughs> California, the Selphoria out there. Yeah, yeah. I am. I no, I have not tried it. No, I am not going to try it. I have no interest in it. That seems like a bunch of crap. Sensationalism created by the marijuana industry who are trying to infuse any fucking possible thing they can with THC. Yeah. Um, well, I've only used which one. I'm all about. I'm all about it. Put THC and CBD and all the stuff into your shit. That's great. Fabulous. Use it. But uh, like I you're not also right. under, <laughs> I, I, you know, resident pothead here. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm, I'm so all curious. about it. But it's, it, I think I I I just think that it has it doesn't work the same way in in topical or transdermal no uh, application yeah. as it does if you fucking smoke it or eat it. Certainly, I mean that is certainly true. I don't know. I so have no for that reason, me. I don't like the creams and all the other stuff. I've uh, I've used um, Foria once. Uh, I used it to it for hand sex purposes and. Fun was had by all, but I've heard some. I've heard some really good things about my hand sex game. So it could have just been that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, also, I, I, I also know that THC increases like your nociceptors, which are your pain receptors. So they always say things like, "Don't smoke weed before you go get a tattoo." You don't drink before you go get a tattoo so you don't bleed more. You don't smoke so that it doesn't hurt more. So, so I thought the way it worked in topical stuff was the opposite, which is why people were so about it. Because I've heard of people with painful, who had painful sex, they were so interested in this amazing weed loop. And I don't know, like, I didn't do my research super well, but that's what I heard. I don't know either, but 
it just that just seems seems incongruent to me based well, on the fact that everyone has always said if you're doing something that's going to be painful, don't smoke weed before you do it because it'll hurt more. I think there is a huge difference in the way it gets into your body. So we'll have to we'll have to table this and like do our research yeah. and come back. Also, I think it depends on if you're smoking THC versus applying CBD. Yeah, that makes yeah. a difference. Well, I want to believe that yeah. it's there's some magical shit out there, but who knows? Maybe not. I'm sure there's some research that like Ashley Manta has done at like canasexual.com or something. Uh, actually, unfortunately, well, especially in the United States, unfortunately, marijuana research is uh, sadly quite low because it has been illegal until very recently. So, yeah, it's making a huge like. Not come although at, come at one point when I was when I was pregnant, um, I really wanted to know my issue or one of my issues when I was pregnant for those seven weeks. Uh, was that I lost my appetite entirely. I didn't want to eat at all. Everything was disgusting and made me throw up, uh, mm. except when I smoked weed, which made me concerned because if uh, in the future, at that time I was unsure if I wanted to have kids and I was concerned about in the future if I wanted to become pregnant, what was I going to do if I didn't want to eat anything for the first three months of being pregnant? Like That's obviously not that good. Um, and since weed was the only thing at the time that made it so that I could eat, I did some research about smoking weed while you're pregnant. Turns out there is no research, almost, about smoking weed while you're pregnant. And the, what I did find was, I think it was like a Swedish study or some European study where they had a bunch of pregnant women smoke weed um, and tried to study their kids as they grew up, like what the effects were later. They were all normal, and there was nothing that they could study. prove. Yeah, it was. And then the problem became that people were dropping out of it because there were no observable differences. Interesting. Yeah, other than, like, the same as smoking cigarettes, if you smoke a lot, uh, you potentially lower the birth weight of your baby. Oh. I was a fat baby for no reason. I was a, I was a fat baby. I was my mom's fattest baby. How fat? Nine pounds. I was nine thirteen. I was not quite that. I was like, I think I was nine. I don't. I think I was seven, seven pounds, six ounces. Both of my kids were eight pounds, eight eight ounces, though. Both. Both, and I wow. and I, I I guessed it beforehand for both kids. My family's really into numbers, so the fact that I was nine thirteen was like, oh my god, you're an angel. Your mom's birthday is nine thirteen. Is meant to be like everything's about numbers. So. And I was supposed to be born on my grandfather's birthday of 620, which is like tomorrow. And I was born three days later on the 23rd. Birthdays are fun. Tell me happy birthday. Because I've always had shitty birthdays. So not like, you know, horribly shitty, but like they just always disappoint me. Always. <laughs> when did you start birth control? Like how old were you when you started birth control? 16, I think. Maybe was it a little bit before that. active? Yeah, I don't remember. I might have, I don't remember if I just said that that's because I was doing it or if I, you know, may have another reason why. I did have like really crappy periods. Like, I think I had two legit reasons to start birth control. I had like ridiculous periods and I probably started having sex at 15. So, both. Yeah. But I did the pill and I would get the pill for free because my gyno would just like give me mass samples. Yeah. So at that point, as a kid, you don't know enough, and it's not affect. It wasn't affecting me too badly, so I was happy to have free samples. Um, even so, I would go back to from college, and I would get more enough samples to like go back to college with. So I didn't yeah. have to worry about anything until like end of college or grad school, I guess. Yeah, I started on birth control when I was sixteen, also, and it was because I had totally crazy periods. I started it before I was sexually active, like probably six months before I was sexually active. Which is good. It it was good. And then I went through a few years of having the Depo-Provera shot, but that wasn't really very good. That was when I was like 19. Mm. Depending on how old your children are, do you have like plans with how you will address contraception with them or when you think that's an appropriate discussion to have? Um, well, what I, what I do with my kids is uh, because they're little, because their age is uh, five and eight, and what I do is I tell them straight up, whenever they have a question, I say, you're little, 
So I'm going to give you a little answer. Mm. And then as you get bigger, I'm going to, you know, the answer is going to get bigger. So I give them, I let them know that I'm going to answer their question in an age appropriate way, but which doesn't like close the door to, for them to ask again. So when they start asking like, how are babies made? I'm going to give them the whole thing about, you know, when, when mommies and daddies love each other, they do a special hug. And then that'll turn into, you know, Hey, when two people feel like fucking, they fuck. And, yeah. you know, somewhere it, it'll... And if you don't use contraception, babies yeah. will come. <laughs> exactly. Right now, they're, they're, they're young for the specifics, but I can, yeah. I can at least say that there are products that keep, you know, babies from being made during the special hug. And then later, it's, you know, hey, kid, here's a condom. If you're going to fuck, fuck with this. Yeah. When they're far older than they are now. Yeah, hitting one end of the spectrum and then jumping to the other there. What about the in-between? Um, hmm, what do you think about top? Will you talk to them separately also? Because yeah, five and eight is not too far away, but at some points we'll feel far away. Yeah. And like, yeah. even, even maturity levels, like uh, my, my five-year-old isn't at the same maturity level as her older sister was at five. Hmm. So like there, there are questions that one's going to be able to get and one's not going to be able to get. And I'm hmm. sort of lucky that I hang out with a lot of, um, I'm lucky that I hang out with enough sex educators that I can like, (laughs) I can ask for like book specifics, but we're all lucky that we have like Google so we can find out what the specifics are. We can can phone a friend super easily for these kids. I mean, exactly. So many, so many sex friends. So even if you just like have Google, you can look up like comprehensive sex ed because I didn't have comprehensive sex ed and I didn't have a parent that I didn't have parents that talk to me about sex at all where the long and short of my sex conversation, I was about to turn 18. I was getting ready to go to college for for my freshman year. And my dad said, you know, Kevin, you're going to run into a lot of interesting people in college. Make sure you protect yourself. Now, I don't know if he was talking about condoms or a gun, you know, but that was about as much as my awkward dad could squeeze out, even if it means just buying them a book and saying, hey, kid, read this book. And but, thankfully, there's like, so much awesome, like sex positive sex ed literature that's pretty easily accessible and available now. Yeah, there is, but like the problem we still face is like people need to want to reach it. People need to want to find it. Right, and and I think hopefully theoretically, if if you raise your children in a sex positive household where it's reasonable to talk about sex, then they will continue to have uh, an interest and want to know about it. Yeah, that's why I really like that you talk about your little, so you get the little answer. When you're big, you get the bigger. Because it implies the most important part of all this is that it's a conversation that's ongoing yes. rather than the talk, as people right. refer to it so often. It's as not a cut talk. and dry, one-time thing. This yeah. is your opportunity to ask all the questions. Well, some people don't even get that. Some people just get a lecture. They don't. Even, it's not yeah. even a one-time conversation, let alone an ongoing dialogue. So. Yeah, like right, like right now, my older daughter is about to enter third grade, and she's she talks with a bunch of the little boys in her classroom, and she talks about like crushes and things like that. And you know, the, the little answer is boys will disappoint you. And as that answer gets older, there's going to be conversations about toxic masculinity and entitlement and, and, and uh, misogyny and how that stuff plays out and how, how it actually plays out with her in second grade in ways that she wouldn't understand, you know? Right. So right now it's boys will disappoint you. And the answer gets bigger as she gets bigger. And that's just sort of the tack that I've been taking. Just speak to her at her level of being able to understand while keeping the door open to further the conversation. I think that's wonderful and really key. What about things like consent and touch and relationships that are more age broad? Uh, an ex-partner of mine took a, 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 bre- a very heavy role in my kids' lives, and that was something she was really pushing forward. And like, I don't think it's something that I wouldn't have pushed forward, but she made it a point to talk about consent all the time, especially mm-hmm. just as a matter of like hugs or mm-hmm. tickling or you know high fives or handshakes, just you know, physical interactions that were still appropriate for kids. So whenever um, she'd like tickle the kid, she'd say like, would you, you know, can I tickle you? Mm-hmm. You know, can I tickle you a lot or a little bit? Yeah. And that would be the conversation. And then she would 
you know, talk about consent to the point where when the kids didn't want to be touched, they would yell consent. You know, they put <sighs> they put up a hand and they block someone, yell consent. That's a such a assertive no. I love it. Yeah, and I, my my older daughter came home from school one day and said that she had to she had to yell that at a boy who was trying to touch a girl who did not want to be touched, like one yeah. of her one of her you know second grade classmates. And then when the kids were like, "What are you talking about? What is this word?" Then she had to give her own lecture on what Aww. consent is on the playground. That's so great. Yeah, it was it was a good that. moment. It was a really good moment. That's really cool because hearing children's uh, interpretations of sort of things adults have taught them uh, and principles they have learned is really really interesting and really cool. Yeah, and it's it's also really awesome to know that like the kids are listening and absorbing mm. some of these things. Yeah. Because when I tell them like, hey, put away your towel. Hey, don't leave the you know don't leave the sink messy. They don't absorb any of that. So that's Or you awesome. don't have evidence that they absorb it until it becomes a thing that they have to use. Exactly. Like that. Were you taught about consent, Sasha? Do you remember like any of those conversations? Uh no, I don't really remember any of those conversations. But I would say that my mom uh I would say that my mom had a very forward-thinking feminist outlook on raising me. So that's really cool. And because of that, there's a lot of stuff that I uh, then became more interested in. And, And consent culture has certainly, in my observation, become more and more of a thing over the past uh, five, ten years. Yeah. Kids getting taught about consent in terms of even hugs, just right. I remember like the hugs were like an integral part of my in- immediate family's life, and and I now have learned the reason for that. And it was like hugs and affection, and I love you, verbal I love yous were so important because my grandparents didn't get any of that, and it wasn't until that they died that I, and I found their diary, or not diary, but like a very, very brief autobiography by my grandmother that I learned how deep that went for them. And oh. I'm lucky that it wasn't a bad thing. It was that, as a child, it was annoying. Like, oh, I can't leave the room without kissing grandma and saying I love you. But I didn't actually mind. It was just like, I didn't have a reason to know why it was so important to do it every time or why it was like a serious thing if I left without doing that. But I can't, I can't imagine having to talk about like asking for a hug. Yeah, I mean that that ends up being generational as well. Yeah. Where the older the older folks in my family, they are expecting hugs and kisses from from my kids. Yeah. And when my kids aren't with it, I've taken to like you know, um posing a physical barrier between them. And always mm-hmm. like and I'm a I'm a tall guy. There's always going to be like I'm tall and I'm a guy. And mm-hmm. so there's always going to be like this sort of power imbalance. There's always going to be some like an intimidation factor that I have to be mindful of. But with like a big smile on my face and like an easygoing attitude, I just have to say like, no, they're fine. They don't have to kiss you if they don't want to. Oh, and awesome. and sometimes I've got to angle myself in between my kids and whoever this person is so that they know like I'm not going to force them to do that. Mm-hmm. Their body is theirs. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, even as an adult, I don't even have any I don't have children. I don't have nieces and nephews because I'm an only child. But I, I do have children that are in my family. And I, I've experienced the like. I'll be ready for a hug, but I'm not, I'm not demanding a hug, which is different, but even in like being open to a hug because it's usually okay. And them saying no, which of course I'm okay with, but the other people in the family being like, go give her a hug, you know, like, yeah, that's so interesting to see it from like that perspective too. And I mean, I get to stand up and be like, no, but then it's not received in the same way because they're like, oh, she's just being like. I don't want to inconvenience anyone or like, I don't want to, but they're not hearing it as like a dad stepping in for his daughter and saying like, my daughter doesn't need to hug you. Like that's way more powerful. Yeah. Bodily autonomy is important at any age. So I was at um, giant stadium and I kind of refused to call it whatever marketing brand name that it has now because I grew up on it being giant stadium and I'm a giant fan. It's called something else? It's called, it's called MetLife Field or something. But uh, I was there for a a big festival, like a play party or something. Or, or, sorry, not a play party, like um like a, a playground, a fairground sort of thing. And they had face painting. 
And my daughter saw the Incredible Hulk face paint, and she said, that's what I want. And I was there with my mom, and she said, no, you can't have that. And I said, of course she can have that. It's her face. She wants whatever she wants. And so my mother was not really into this, and she she invoked my wife and said, you're, you know, her, her mother's going to be so upset. And I'm like, no, her mother's going to let her do what she wants. And again, it's generational. My mom is an, of a... Of, is of an age where little girls should get like pink fairy things and butterflies and flowers, which is what my older daughter likes now. But back then she wanted that bright green, incredible Hulk face paint. Mm -hmm. And I gave her a couple of chances to back out if she wanted to, but that's what she wanted. So that's what she got. And she spent the rest of the day walking around that fairground, growling at other kids. And I'm like, this is a parenting win for me here. (laughs) Growling at kids. Good for you. You're standing up to mom. What do you think about shame? Obviously, sex-positive parenting aims to eliminate shame, but it's still a thing that's in interwoven into all the things. Do you remember being shamed as a kid? Because I certainly have some, some memories of that. Do I remember being shamed? And I say, do you no. remember? Because you probably have whether or not you remember. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't really remember it. No. I, I remember one time I had like a hickey on my shoulder and my mom kind of jokingly was like, don't let that boy suck all over your body. Mm. But she was, one, she was kind of joking. I mean, I didn't really feel like she meant shamefulness in it. Nobody means shamefulness. Like, it's just fucking there. Like, my parents on the surface seem like good as parents in terms of like sex and body stuff like they're not super weird and religious and like they're not super quiet like if I were to ask a question about sex which I'm sure I did at some point they would at least answer it not like beat me which they would do for other things but my dad was just like a super sexual person so I didn't get shamed from him I just got like another weird level of shit but my mom in hindsight i remember shamed me for a lot of stuff that i didn't know was happening at the time or i didn't know the word shame perhaps i knew it felt not great but i just thought i was like a bad girl because i was always labeled as a brat like just a bad kid even though i really wasn't like i think i got caught not caught masturbating but they she my mom found the thing the weird thing that i was using to masturbate clearly in a position that implied i was using it to masturbate and like brought it to me like what is this and sent me into like a little black hole and then later I think in middle school I had this whole big thing that's like my part of my like sexuality origin story where my best friend fell in love with me in like a weird way that allowed me to not really figure out my own side of things regardless of how it happened she would walk in to me and my best friend just sitting on my bed which was not even a sexual thing because we would have done it anyway. It just happened to be at the time where things got weird sexually. And she would like, what are you doing? And I don't know if it's because she knew something had changed. But like she shamed she shamed my, my girl stuff early on. My dad being the child that he is. When I told him this. Because my parents were divorced. So I would go to him with my bullshit. And he would like fire at my mom through me. And he was like, well your mom's a hypocrite. Because she fucked girls when I told her to. Wow. So I went home that content and i was like come at me mom it was you all right i learned it by watching you i will fuck her all day you can't say shit so it gave me like really bad firepower but (laughs) to this day it's not been explicitly used that way but in grad school we had a good relationship for a while and one of the big assignments that we had to do was a sexual genogram and a genogram is basically like a therapist family tree a sexual genogram is obviously like more of a sexual history plus or focus on family stuff. So not specifically your sexual history as in who you fucked your sexual like story. And so it traces back to as far as you can reach. So I called my mom, I interviewed her and she did at least own up to experimenting with girls, Mm. but it was never talked about in terms of like, dad told me you fucked women. How dare you shame me for being what I now would say is bi or queer. So Right. Yeah. Interesting stuff. My parents were also swingers. So wow. you know, did you know about that when you were a kid? That was part of the that was the firepower. I knew she uh, fucked girls because they were swingers and he quote made her. 
That sounds a sexual. Sounds like a sexually healthy relationship. Yeah, my dad's really dominant, so I don't know how much of it was oh. okay and how much of it was less okay. But yeah. were your parents that interesting? Um, <laughs> no. Um, I, like I don't know. I don't know what the origin of my sexual shame is, is from, but I assume it's because my parents never spoke about it. Mm-hmm. It was never a thing that came up. It was a they. You know, they they covered my eyes when people kissed on screen. So I imagine that it was just this shameful thing. So like my my own like sexual awakening, my own sexual discovery was all done like under cover of night, you know? I got really good at knowing who was moving around in the house by the weight and sound and cadence of footsteps. So I, I could I I was the master at having uh ESPN on the last button on my remote control. So when I was watching something I shouldn't have been watching, I could immediately hit one button yeah. and be right re, right into watching you, sports. I remember like my finger living on that button, ready yes. to go if someone comes down. Especially when we would watch that uh, fuzzy shit. Yeah. That yeah. was actually <laughs> kind of sex that we didn't pay for because... The yeah. Spice Channel or the Playboy Network. You know, it's, oh. it's fuzzy and you could only see like the vagueness of a boob, but while hearing some moaning in the Wait, background. Wait, that's a blow your mind. You're going to wish you were me as a kid. My dad had paid for Playboy TV when my parents officially divorced. And I would go mm-hmm. to my dad's for whatever X amount of time and he would go to work or something. And he lived in his mom's house for a while in the beginning. And so it was just like his room in his mom's house. And I didn't know my grandmother on that side. I didn't know her. So I didn't like feel like I could leave. I, I couldn't leave the room. So I would just lay in his bed. Meanwhile, he had like handcuffs and like lube and stuff if you really looked for it. And he'd leave on Playboy TV. And I would lay in bed all day and watch Playboy TV at like 12. Wow. Fuck yeah. I learned so much. But even before I got the TV experience in the bathroom, mad Playboys. And I would read the stories. Like I was like acclimated to Playboy from such a young age. They got good stories. You get Playboy for the articles, right? <laughs> you being like nine and like looking at a Playboy, like which hole does it go in? <laughs> yes. It's like there's so much going on. Yes is the answer. <laughs> All the holes. I found some old porn. Like it was like on on my elementary school playground. I couldn't have been older than maybe like eleven or twelve. And we, just, me and a friend, found like a brown paper bag with a couple of VHS tapes. And I still have the one that I took. And it, it, this had to have VHS. been like nineteen seventies porn. And I watched the hell out of it because yeah. it was my entire experience. But I knew immediately, this is not something I should be watching around my folks. Like, I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know why everything is so hairy, why these adults sound so weird, what, <laughs> what this 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 bass and horn-heavy music is. But I know my parents won't approve. And that became, like, all of my, all of my uh, summers while my parents were outside. I was watching this porn. I mean, they're, all, they're you know, oh. being, being adults. <laughs> Yeah. Got. So I wanted to talk about contraceptives and kids again real quick. So as uh, Colby and many of my clients know, um, I have quite a few nieces whom I love and adore and spend lots of time with. My uh, youngest niece is now 18 years old. And when she was, she became sexually active when she was like 15 and and had a, a consistent boyfriend and and was consistently active. Uh, and they got her on the pill uh, after I harassed my brother a bunch of times. And I was like, hey, she's having sex. Take her to the doctor. Go get her on some birth control. So she goes and gets the pill. And then, of course, because she's 16, she doesn't take it. Mm. Which Like she forgets to take it or she's like, yeah. Nothing. No, she forgets to, because 16-year-olds are not responsible. Uh, and then I was, I kept trying to harass them to go take her to the doctor to get the shot. And they kept saying, oh, yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it. And they kept not doing it. And eventually, I flew to go visit them specific and made her an appointment at Planned Parenthood and took her to Planned Parenthood and paid for her to have birth control because it was important enough to me for her to have birth control if she was consistently having sex with her boyfriend who's three or four years older than her, that she be protected. Because God knows she's not using condoms. Good move. Oof. Yeah, that is a good move. Yeah. Also. Yeah, use condoms. I don't think I ever didn't even consider not using... Wait, hold on. <laughs> I never considered not using condoms 
until I was with the same person for like a long time. And well, she and her boyfriend have been together since she was like 14, and she's now 18. Yeah. And she, they started having sex when she was 16. So. Hmm. I always wonder, like, how people are talking about it in schools these days. Because, you know, I, we know a lot of, like, sex ed people, but that's still such a small percent of who's actually doing the sex ed in schools. A lot today. of it is still gym yeah. teachers. Yeah. I, don't, I had health class, but I don't remember anything significant in terms of sex or contraception or. Anything. I mean, there was a health teacher, but I still don't think we even got to it. We didn't, we didn't get to the stuff. And we, people like clients. I, I talked about sex in in my health class, which is funny because I grew up in Texas. This well, Kevin, are there any books that you recommend specifically about sex positive parenting? Um, I don't have any books that I. I mean, for me, it's been just I've been having a lot of conversations with other parents who are trying to like, for one way or the other, do better for them for their kids than their parents did for them. Like yeah. I'm doing that, and and I have a lot of great conversations. Uh, I've joined some like uh, polyamorous parenting groups on like Facebook, like local. There's one for like the Philadelphia area that I'm a part of. So I don't have any like specific resources other than just sharing my experiences and sharing in the experiences of others. Have you have you experienced any uh, negative judgment from other parents regarding poly parenting? Just my own parents. Um, they feel like one day my kids are going to be confused by it. And I'm like, well, this is their norm. They're small kids. So they're not going to one day decide, you know what, this thing that's been my normal life for, you know, for however long, just the same way as they were worried about my older daughter getting that green face paint, they're putting their own hangups on my kids. And I'm not interested in, in fostering that at all. Well, there are a Good lot of you. people who like have some like out of all the poly stuff like family stuff is what they have the most issue with like i see that in clients and like just random people i talk to and they don't want to hear what i have to say because i don't have my own poly family that involves children and that pisses me off but i try to explain it from people i do know who are doing the things to explain it early on if they're not young at the time that doesn't mean you can't do it it's just that it's easier earlier on whereas they think if it's earlier on in age that it's harder in reality, it's the opposite. I think with my kids, I, I'm lucky that it, I'm lucky that I, that I, it was a young thing. My kids don't care. All they know is that there are more adults around who who will take care of them, who who care about them, who will get them snacks, who they can invite to their pre um, their their random puppet show. That's all they really more care. parents, more yeah. fun people, exactly. And they're really used to having other adults around that they can invite to a puppet show. I remember coming to your house for the first time, like the day we met and your yeah. kids were just like loving all the people around. Yeah. They just were so easily like enmeshed in that. Like I've only really had to explain my polyamory to my kids once. Um, I've been, I had made an appearance in a local newspaper and I was really excited about it. And my, uh, my older daughter was like, why? Like, why does anyone, like, you, you have a blog, why does anybody read it? What is it about? And I said, <laughs> well, you see how... awesome. I wish. <laughs> she wouldn't have accepted that. Um, I said, like, you know how I love you, and you know how I love your little sister. When your little sister came along, we didn't stop loving you. She's like, yeah. Well, I love, I love your mom. I love my girlfriend. And some people think that's weird. Some people think that's exciting. But that's what my blog is about, and that's why people read it. And she's like, oh, cool. But I love my family, though. And then she went off to go play. <laughs> and that was the entirety of the story. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And that was like, it was a five-minute conversation at most. It's not that, like, we don't, we adults complicate things. Boy, kids, do we? kids don't. No. Kids get things. Yeah. They're simple. And They're, they, we are the ones that punish that in some cases. Yeah. We put all of our weird political agendas and stuff on, and on shame, our kids. And, and like shame. And shame. Standards yeah. and societal norms. And like, we're, we're the... That. Yeah. From my understanding, um, it kids frequently react a lot that way when you explain, like, oh, sometimes a man will love a man, and sometimes a woman will love a woman. And Aunt Rhonda loves Aunt Brenda, and they're together forever. Cool. Can Aunt Brenda get me a hot dog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're more selfish. They're into themselves. Yeah. <laughs> care about Aunt Brenda and Rhonda. We're, um, I was trying to find something on TV to watch that didn't have a bunch of violence in it, and I came across Talladega Nights. 
And at the end of the movie, spoiler alert for this 15-year-old movie, Will Ferrell and Sasha Baron Cohen end up making out at the end of the movie. And my, my daughter was just like, well, why are these two boys kissing? And I'm sitting there trying to come up with like every explanation of human sexuality as I could to relate to this three-year-old. And I was like, they must really just like each other. And she's like, oh, okay. And that was it. That was the whole conversation. And then later, like, she watched Steven Universe and learned all about, like, same-sex relationships and non-binary people. Yeah. Wow. Perfect. Great. Yeah. And it makes it super palatable and kids are like, oh, so some people are different than me. Yeah. Cool. And, like, speaking By of the way, media. Like, have that hot dog? <laughs> <laughs> More like ice cream. I feel like it's the ice One of the things about, that, like, the book that I like that I'll put at the end references it's like kids are already kids are already listening and seeing and like hearing all these different sex things like we're doing a disservice by not bringing it into a conversation because then they're just going to come up with their own explanations over here right if you can use media to your advantage to like make a discussion or educate in some way then your job's halfway done let's talk about sex it's actually a planned parenthood produced book oh that's cool very cheap on Amazon. It's got a yellow cover. It's got stuff. It's really, I think, written for parents as well as kids. Really like teaching their parents how to talk about kids. But there's actually like, exercises in it. There's a parent's guide as well as the kids stuff, which I think is like a perfect, that really perfect in between because parents does need it, specific tools. Does it talk about having age appropriate discussions with your children about sex? It does. Like obviously the discussion you would have with a six year old or an eight year old is very different from the discussion that you would have with a fifteen year old. I think it does go into I haven't read it page by page. I think there is a more in depth um, age, more like sex comprehensive thing, but even just in the first page of the parents guide it says, What's a good time to talk about sex? A very good time to build family communication about sex is when your child is between nine and twelve, which I don't even agree with because i think it can start at four i agree but they're the act of sex stuff here which is fine um but i think relationships and consent and boundaries and all that shit can start at nine and masturbating because we don't have to call it masturbating but kids totally touch themselves at like four yeah yeah they do plus four plus yeah they do four plus forever all right Thank you so much, Kevin, for coming to A Hooker and a Shrink and talking about parenting and poly stuff with us. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you having me on and letting me be a part of your platform. So, Kevin has two wonderful children, Sasha, myself, and Gentry. We don't really want kids. I mean, there's a lot of uh, sub-content there, but we don't want kids. And we have a lot of feelings about the stigma and like shame that people put on that. As if it's not an option or we're bad people for that choice. Or as if we don't really know. I get a lot of, you don't really know and you'll want them later. Uh, You'll change your mind. You don't deserve uh, to get your tubes tied because you're not old enough and you don't have children and your husband's approval. And Yeah. I wonder how different the stigma there is for women versus men. Gentry, do you run into like a lot of people... Saying shit like, you'll change your mind. You'll want kids. Uh, no, it's more like people saying that you'll like them when you have them. Mm -hmm. I think the assumption is more that, like... Hopefully, I mean... Like, as a man, you're going to have kids eventually, and, like, it's after that that you want kids. I've even seen a lot of uh, stuff around having kids in your 30s and 40s versus your teens and 20s, which is, oh my god, like, such a... I don't know, we need a name for, like, because we have toxic monogamy, we have toxic masculinity. What is this, like, toxic parenting? Because it's, like, people that I've seen, who I like, even, who have seen post shit about, oh, you're going to be just having your toddler, and I'm going to be laying in the pool with my margarita, and my 20-year-old cutting my grass. Ha, ha, ha. Like, sucks for you. And I'm like, why does that even That's across your mind? You don't have to grow up with your kid. Which is, right. I'm not saying he's bad. I mean, people figure it out and they become better people for it. But how dare you say that the other option is somehow bad? Um, that's like, I mean, that's like saying, oh, ha ha ha, you shitty person. You're changing diapers. And I'm out clubbing. Like, you don't hear people saying that. Right. I would never say that. We're not jealous of people who are changing diapers while we're clubbing. But we're not like, <laughs> you're, you're a bitch. Ha ha ha. Oh, Go yeah. Die. No. 
you're you're less than human. You how dare you have children? And you were like, oops, <laughs> no, yeah. Well, I think all in all, uh, we can say that contraception is great if you don't want to have kids, and there are many options. And if you do have kids, hopefully you can uh, teach them sex positivity and have some sex positive parenting with your methodology and plans. And don't forget to deal with your own shit around sex and shame. Like, it's not easy to talk to kids about sex. And we're not saying that it is, but you can certainly do it. There's a lot of ways. And there's a lot of resources now. Take advantage of that. You can contact me if you want some help. Yeah. You can you can pick up that book that Colby mentioned. Let's talk about SEX. Or you can pick up our guest, Kevin Patterson's book, Love's Not Colorblind. So Love's Not Colorblind is not about sex positive parenting but you should definitely still pick it up because it's about the intersection of race and polyamory and he is still a sex positive parent so i'm sure that is exuded in his writing uh, but you can also check him out at all of his social media and he has a blog called poly role models um, so all the social media is at poly role models you can also just google poly role models and the blog will come up as well so check him out, Kevin Patterson. You can also find our social media. We are a hooker and a shrink on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, we are hooker and shrink. And also, of course, our wonderful website, ahookerandashrink.com. And last but certainly not least, subscribe to our Patreon, a hooker and a shrink. So you can find, you, well, you can pledge to be a part of a Patreon of ours where you can pick one, five, ten, twenty or more dollars and get certain perks at each tier. And if you just go to our website, www.hookerandshrink.com, there's a big old button on the homepage that will take you right to our Patreon. So making it easy for you. Our intro and outro music is Frank Krumit performing So Long Oolong. Oh my God. That just flew by. Are you taking your ball and leaving, Gentry? Yes.